from the NFL. We know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head coach. To the NBA. Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football. The Pac-12 got how many teams in the top 25? And so much more. Boxing needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout could be coming to a close. The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise. I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke. And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is a drink of wisdom. Welcome to a drink of wisdom with Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard. I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thanks for spending some of your time with us tonight. As a reminder to all our listeners, besides being on all your favorite podcast platforms, A Drink of Wisdom is also on YouTube with each so segment available. Head on over, and if you like what you hear, well, we'd appreciate your subscription. What's going on, guys? Hey, you know what it is. It's the, uh, it's the beer, it's the drink, it's the wisdom. Let's go. Let's talk some sports, baby. Hey, I want to all the listeners and the watchers, hey, I want to say happy Juneteenth for everybody that don't know. 1868 was the official day that slavery was ended and black folk became free folk. And also, I want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Let's roll, baby. All right, man, let's do it. In episode 77, Major League Baseball is trending up. Jamal Adams is trending down. We break down our top 10 coach-quarterback combinations in the NFL. But first, let's check in on the NBA resumption plan. Two weeks ago, the NBA ratified a plan among the owners and players to resume the season in Orlando next month on July 30th. The plan involves bringing 22 teams to Disney World and keeping them contained in a bubble, quote-unquote, with daily testing and strict medical supervision. This week, the NBA released a 113-page manual to further clarify the details of their plan. The plan was praised at first, but amid surging coronavirus cases and social unrest, many players have raised their own concerns about playing. Kyrie Irving and Dwight Howard have been among the most vocal against playing, while players like Austin Rivers and Sterling Brown say more good than harm would come from playing amid players earning salaries to help the cause. So, Drake, after this week, do you think the NBA is more or less likely to play? And are the new plan details enough to smooth things over with the players? Well, I would say this. uh, The media will make you think that uh, they're less likely to play, but the more I I actually listen and pay attention, they're going to play. I don't think I don't think, you know, with all this news going on, they're going to play. The biggest concern is not really to me. It's not the coronavirus. If you actually listen to where the divide is but amongst the players, it's not the coronavirus. This has got more to do with the social injustice of African-Americans than it does with the coronavirus. You listen to a lot of these players, they're not worried about really getting sick. Is it a, a, a something to be concerned about? Yes, it is. But that, that's not the main concern for this particular situation. And, you know, for, for all the watchers and listeners that saying, hey, maybe it is a concern because Kyrie, you know, got this conglomerate of 85 to 90 players speaking out. I would say this to you. If it was such a problem, you would be able to name me at least five other superstars that's up there supporting Kyrie. But you can't. So I don't want to hear how much of a problem it is when I got LeBron James, when I got Giannis, when I got Kawhi Leonard, when I got James Harden, the rest of these superstars saying they want to play. Um, the platform. I want to hit on the platform right quick. Here's the deal. When you say if they play, they will have a bigger platform. Yeah, I can agree with you. 
But I also can agree with Kyrie as well when he say, hey, we done been on these platforms. We done made our stance very known how we feel with Black Lives Matter. I can't breathe. All these things going. We seen what LeBron and Carmelo and, and uh, Chris Paul and Dwayne Wade did at the ESPYs a um, couple of years ago with, with that Black Lives Matter stance. We see, you know, every time LeBron James get a mic in his, he, he's always asked about um, injustice and things outside of the NBA. And he always try to give us the most candid answer that he can give us without going too overboard. So th these conversations has always been going. No, no. With all that said, Kyrie did make a very interesting point. I want to uh, point out uh, that he said, listen, you know, Sometimes when you want to get a point across, you have to play with drastic measures. You have to take a drastic measure. I'm sorry. And I see what Kyrie is saying. Uh, he's saying that we shouldn't play. But the one thing he did bring up in this situation that I thought was downright ludicrous was the fact that he want to start his own basketball league. <laughs> but let me tell you something, buddy. Let me tell you something. NBA been around for, it been around for quite a while, you know? And unless you're going to tell me you want to go from making $30 million to $200,000 just to invest all your money into this new basketball league, knock it off. Just knock it off, buddy, because that, that ain't it. But, you know, maybe he might be serious. I would just like to see what, what is this going to be, the big three league part two? Like, I, I'd like to see where we're going with this. Um, I, I don't think you, these guys want to soak all their salary into making a new league. I did hear, however, when Kyrie did bring up this idea in the group chat, once he heard what the NBA was doing as far as safety measures and progression and trying to get everybody in the fold, he did get off the line, and, and that was the end of that. Don't know how true it is, don't know how false it is. That's just what's been floating around on the bigger, the bigger uh, media market. So I, I, I do want to say I sympathize with what Kyrie is saying. I don't undermine what he's saying, but – we see who we see who got the influence. We see who's gonna make the moves. And um, you know, as far as your question go, I do see uh, NBA season happening. Now I see the little cute adjustments that the NBA has made with the breaking down the three uh, hotel resorts. I see the, the and I, I let Jay get into the noodles and caboodles of you know the coaching staff, this, that, and the third. But I just wanted to make sure that I made my piece very loud and clear about the Kyrie LeBron thing, because that is kind of what got me drawn into this whole situation. Cause I think at the end of the day, once July 30th come basketball will get played one way or another. So I do, I, I like that divide. This, this have created quite some controversy, you know, amongst everybody. You got Kendra Perkins out here. Little side boy here. Did y'all oh, know Kendra Perkins is only 35? You know what? Hey, he was, you about to say exact, exactly what I mean. Yo, feel like, yeah, I feel like you should still be playing, right? Yo, this dude is only like a month older than LeBron James. And he looked like he was <laughs> – yo, my man looked like he was balling with Bill Russell. And he's only a month older than LeBron James. Yo, he, looks, I, he looks like a civil rights attorney from the 60s. I'm trying to tell you. Johnny Cochran up. But, like, <laughs> here's the thing. Like – I, I was fat when I heard that today. When I heard that, on, I was like, "What? No way! That dude got to be at least fifty-five. So, um, 
with, with that said, you know, I, I had thought a little sidebar in there, but here's the deal. We're going to get an NBA season. Uh, I think we should get an NBA season. I think you can accomplish two goals at the same time and go about them different. You can still protest. You can still do social injustice. And here's the deal. The NBA is not going to force anybody to play. They have made that clear. Adam Silver has made that clear. I'm not going to force you to play. If you don't want to play, you don't have to. But if you don't play one game, you're not going to play none of them. Once you get substituted, that is it for you. You're done for the season. And you do not get paid. And this is some of the things that I think Kyrie and, and um, Avery Bradley and Dwight Howard, these are the things they have to realize. It's a lot of players that speaking out against this that don't make the money that they make, especially Kyrie, for example. Yep. They don't make the money you make. So they can't afford to not play, to be perfectly honest with you. A lot of these, some of these guys are two-way players. Some of these guys are undrafted, you know, rookies. And like, what do you want them to do? They don't make your money. So they're not going to see it the way you see it. At the end of the day, we all have an idea that drives us. I'm, Kyrie is not wrong with his idea, but Kyrie does have to see the whole picture. LeBron has to see the whole picture. We all have to see the whole picture. Adam Silver is doing the best he can. This is... Uh, I can also say this is a drawback when you run a league that's a player-driven league. You run into this problem because you bet your bottom dollar Roger Goodell is over there like, yo, y'all come with that smoke if you want to. Y'all keep talking about this anthem crap. Hey, we're we going to fix that too. You see, right? they already think about, okay, I don't want to turn this into an NFL. So, but, but to answer your question, the NBA will move forward, no, no doubt about it. We're going to get us some basketball. You know what I'm saying? Holla at your boy. And uh, let's see where this takes us. Over to you, Jay. Yeah, a couple Yeah, a couple things before I really get into it. Uh, number one, I think that's the first Kendrick Perkins reference we've had in the history of this show. <laughs> and I hope, it's, I hope to God it's the last one because he doesn't deserve to be on such a great program. The only reason he gets as much camera time as he does is because of his connections to LeBron James and Kevin Durant. I think we can all be realistic in, in approaching that. And then secondly, um, in the issue of Kyrie Irving, um, I'm just interested and I would pose a question that you don't have to answer. But Kyrie, would you be at the forefront of this, um, of this faction of players that don't want to play if you were healthy? No, just, I do want to answer this. I do want to answer this. Okay, though. go I ahead. You said I don't have to answer. Go but ahead. I want to answer this. I would say yes. If you actually look at Kyrie, Kyrie has always been a I'm against the establishment kind of guy. He's always been a pushback type of guy. So in that fact, when you ask that, I do think if he was healthy, he still would be doing the same thing. Okay, that's fine. I just want to and, – and one, one more thing about Kyrie and the, the ridiculous notion of starting your own basketball league. Let's think about this. Remember the XFL? I was a skeptic at first, and obviously I think the XFL, the way they had it going this time, it looked like a smooth operation. Uh, some of the, the new rules they were implementing, the in-game interviews – um, there was a lot to like about what they were doing. And uh, we saw just how, uh, how quickly a new league can fold up like a cheap tent. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I probably don't want to go that route, Kyrie, especially considering the fact that Kyrie, I th in the case of Kyrie Irving, I think it's very clear that we can say you are a Robin. You are not a Batman. So I don't know how much flexing you need to be doing when you were LeBron's sidekick for all those years, you go to Boston and you couldn't get it done. And next thing you know, you're teaming up with the second best player in the world. 
So let's just pump the brakes. And oh, by the way, and as another sidebar, uh, not that it should be a surprise that he's coming up with these nonsense ideas. This is a guy who apparently believes the earth is flat. So, but moving on, listen, one way or the other, we, we're playing basketball. I mean, there's, there's just no way around it. Um, I've been fairly optimistic throughout this entire process ever since that, you know, fateful evening with Rudy Gobert tested positive. So we're going to get this done. And I think it's a very, it's an extremely valid point when you talk about uh, the cream of the crop in terms of the NBA. If Kyrie is at the forefront of this movement and he's not even available to play, and then you talk about secondary guys who are at the forefront of this, you talk about Avery Bradley and Dwight Howard. Those are not really all that big names to where uh, Adam Silver's like, okay, let's take a look. Uh, oh, yeah, we, we're good. I don't see Kawhi. I don't see LeBron. I don't see uh, Giannis. I don't even see Jimmy Butler's name on it. So let, let's, get to, let's get to moving. And, of course, and I think, it's, I think we, we've touched on this, um, the health concerns that players have, if they do have them, they're absolutely valid. Now, I don't, no one's going to sneeze at that. But, again, I would say, as I said last week, the NBA's primary objective through getting this thing going and putting these plans in place is the player's health has been at the forefront of the discussion. And, and that, that's been the whole objective is to play, play this season out with the, with, without compromising player's health. So if that's not good enough for the players, of course they got every right to sit down and not play, but, you won't get paid. That's just kind of what we look to. I do think it's interesting, and I just looked at these hotel destinations. Uh, what you can definitely tell, it appears the Grand Destino is the place to be, and it looks like the Yacht Club, I guess the Yacht Club, if you're going to the Yacht Club, the Yacht Club is the place where uh, they should be going ahead and booking reservations for the regular folks that going to come through, because you know they ain't going to be there that long. So we can go ahead and get that out of the way. Uh, of course, if you're at the Floridian, um, I don't know. I, we'll see how that progresses. We never just listen the 76ers and Rockets. Uh, they make they may make some sort of run. We don't know. We've had listen. I think when you look at their talent versus the what the way they actually play and perform, we don't know what we're gonna get from them. But now let me caveat. Let me let me let me, let me throw a little sauce in there. You know, what I'm saying a little drippy drill. Here's the deal. The biggest thing that we knock against 76ers is is their chemistry, right, on the road. No. Can we say they might have got a long enough break where they didn't kind of figure some things out and then they get back on the court and they both healthy and Joel and B can finally finish a game without a chicken sandwich and all this good stuff? Can we say they had enough time off to figure that out? Or I'm not, I'm not, box? I'm not, yeah, you're not going to sell me. Um, if the bubble was in Philadelphia, maybe you could sell me on that argument, but they're not okay. at home, which is where they play well. And this is, okay. I think, okay. that, I think they thrive in that home environment. I'm not, I'm not sold on that argument. But again, fair back enough, to the, back enough. to Avery Bradley and Dwight Howard. And to just talk pure basketball for a brief second, if Avery Bradley and Dwight Howard indeed go forward and they do not play, that is a huge blow, particularly in the case of Avery Bradley. That is a significant blow to the chances of the, of the Los Angeles Lakers winning this chip. Whenever oh, they're going to play. Dwight Howard going to play. Oh, Avery Bradley got a championship. He might be able to say, uh, and, and to me, even if, even if it's just Avery Bradley, I think it's significant because he's their best perimeter defender. And when we, we talked about, oftentimes, we've talked about a third score for the Lakers because we know what we're going to get from LeBron. We know Anthony Davis is going to be there, and he's going to be the key to what happens to them. But Avery Bradley, if you remove him out of the equation, their perimeter depth is in serious question. And that will be yeah. a huge factor. It's going to be tough to get out the West if you don't have Avery Bradley. Yeah. 
Yeah, this uh, this whole week, I think the NBA has really put a big effort into kind of smoothing the situation over because, you know, like you said, we talked about two weeks ago, it seemed like this was all sunshine rainbows. We got a plan. We're done. We're rolling. We're going to Orlando. Pack your crap. Let's go. And then last week it was like, whoa, wait a minute. This all sounds, you know, really off. And now we're kind of in this middle ground. And I think that th that manual they released like 113 pages clarified a lot of the problems they had because a lot of the plan really was the NBA said, all right, we're going to do X, Y, and Z without details. Just, we got it. Don't worry about it. And somehow they were able to just make that enough to overwhelmingly finalize the plan. But you know, one thing that does worry me a little bit, you know, Drink, you said that it wasn't anything to do with the coronavirus and, and it probably or not nearly as much as it was the social uh, justice or, you know, the unrest angle. Um, but the cases really are, especially in Florida, going back up quite a bit. You know, the data obviously can be manipulated any way we want, but I want to throw a quick update on it. Uh, since we last talked, so since last week, you know, Florida's added 15,000 new cases and about 900 hospitalizations. Now the positivity rate, which is your relationship between how many people get tested versus how many people were positive hasn't risen as much as the total cases which tells us that oh it's more testing not always that more people are truly getting it than they were but the positivity rates of about 12 percent is about what we were seeing in mid-april when this was still pretty you know pretty high up on the scale there uh orange county where this is all being held in orlando there's 3900 cases and the positivity rates about the same so you know a lot of people were talking about the numbers that's kind of the numbers behind the coronavirus issue there what really worries me is we're seeing in other sports already, teams are already having to shut stuff down uh, and can't and make cancellations. University of Texas had to cancel their offseason stuff. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, they had to reclose their facilities. And Clemson, like we just said on, on social media, they reported 28 players and staff members total had to close. And I think the NBA can handle a few people getting the virus, assuming that, you know, a few people get it here and there. I mean, their, their testing protocols sound really good. They're going to test people multiple times. I mean, it's, it's going to be a solid testing regiment, but unless something sneaks in there, the ones and twos you can handle, but you know, what if we get one of these outbreaks? What if all of a sudden say the Clippers, five players get it. One of them's Kawhi or Paul George. If you take one team out of this completely, then doesn't this all get a huge asterisk as far as, you know, the validity of it all? Outside of the whole team being really mad that a bunch of their players got sick and they can't play, you know, does that put a damper on this? I mean, it's just the, the, the operation for, for as smart and as well thought out as it is, it does have that risky feel to it. You know, that if this were to go south, like it wouldn't take a lot. And like we're already seeing it happening in a few isolated cases. Now, you know, Clemson and, and Lightning, they're not taking the precautions the NBA is going to take. So we hope that'll be the mitigating factor. But, um, you know, the other, the other issues with the players, you know, I get the social the unrest angle. I definitely understand, you know, the, the thought of, hey, why are we going to go quarantine in Orlando for three months right in the middle of all this? But, I mean, the, the way I look at it is, People who can't do a lot else, you know, do the marching and whatnot, because that's as an average Joe, that's what you can do. You know, that's what you can do to do your part. You, you can donate a little bit of money, but, you know, you're if you if you're the average guy, that's what you do to go get change done. These guys with the money they have, especially these Kyrie Irvings and Dwight Howards and whatnot. They have the money to make some real like pro progress in the change. And if you're not playing, you're denying yourself that money to be able to do so. So, again, like I'm not sure what really other than the optics of it, what really changes if these guys stay home instead of go play? I mean, I don't buy the whole, well, you're taking attention away. Well, I mean, really is, is attention. Again, is not a finite thing that you take from one thing and put on the other. I mean, you should be able, 
you know, the, the, the NBA coming back isn't going to kill any social justice movement that's going on. You can have both things simultaneously. And I would think if all the players and coaches and league are together, maybe you can come together and, and come up with some real good ideas as a whole. You know, because they're all going to be under the same roofs. 20 GMs are going to be under the same roofs. 22 teams are going to be under the same roofs. I mean, there's a lot – there are a lot that can come from that. Go ahead, Drink. Okay. I was going to say, first of all, you're absolutely right. I should have been a little more clear. What I meant to say was I thought the social injustice was a right. little bit bigger deal than, than the COVID-19. That's what I should have said. I'm sorry about that. Um, But I would say this to it. I'll play uh, devil advocate. All right? If – all the all the black players stayed at home. How interested are you seeing a all white NBA? <laughs> so uh, Maver- give me Maver- back to Brian Scalabrini. I'm very interested. Otherwise, the, Maver- <laughs> uh, the Mavericks win. <laughs> oh God! So, and Porzingis. <laughs> so you know, you know, with all the craziness that Kyrie pulled, he actually got a little bit of you know a, a point to say when you're dealing with the one percenters, those top rich guys. The only thing that really gets their attention is when they losing money at a rapid rate. So even if you brought the NBA back, but you didn't bring back the black guys, guess what TV partner's going to say? Hey, man, you ain't getting top dollar for this product. Get out of here. If, that's a, to see this, so. if enough players sit out, then this isn't <coughs> happening. I mean, we, we understand that ones and twos, again, they can say, hey, I don't want to play, you know, high risk, whatever. But the ramification, we talked about some last week, if, they, if the players don't show up and this doesn't go off, you know, the CBA it could get ripped up and this there could be long-term impacts because yeah the owners will lose a lot more money but the players are going to too not just this year yeah. but years to come so that would be kind of a dangerous game to play in my opinion with between the owners and the players but you're right I mean sometimes the only way to get these guys attention is to do something like that hit their pocketbooks and then suddenly their ears perk up and they say oh well what are you talking about so um I just I'm a little concerned about the risks of it all I feel like this is a high risk situation but um as long as these numbers continue to not, you know, only moderately increase or we can kind of, you know, they continue to tell us, oh, this is exactly how we're testing, exactly what we're going to do, and they can get these guys in and out on time. I, I think this is going to work, but I would say that this week it was a little concerning, if nothing else, for the, the future of it all. And I would say just uh, about yeah. the social injustice, because I didn't, I didn't really address that, and I don't just want to gloss over that, because it, it's a big deal. But I would just say about that, one of the things that I just find a, a, the least bit odd and drink feel free to correct me on this. The protests that swept nationwide were already underway, well underway, I would say at least two weeks into play before this agreement between the NBA and the NBA Players Association came out to where, okay, we're ready to go, let's play. I I would just ask you, what was the reason NBA players weren't bringing these issues to the attention of the league saying, hey, wait, wait, social injustice, we're not sure. We got, we got seri- a serious number of players who are saying we're not sure about playing right now given the climate. That, that's just one of the things I'm looking at. Say, that seems a wee bit weird because when you look at it, you had an agreement. The NBA Players Association and the league said we're ready to do this. My issue has been since that agreement, why is all this stuff the reasons not to play coming to light i i feel like this i think the the, the players that that had the grievance is you know they felt like their voices wasn't big enough so they had they probably had to come down they brainstormed they got together and they found the right person once you know Kyrie got in the mix to say all right this guy can be our representation 
of the players that got a problem with what's going on in the country right now. Because um, let's be real here. If this if this was Spencer Dinwiddie, like, what are we talking about here? Like, I'm sorry to say, I'm not saying Spencer Dinwiddie words don't matter. I'm not saying his opinion don't matter. But let's be real here. We're like, wait, what? So, you know, they I think they, they, they wanted to make sure they was coming to Adam Silver with the right thing. That's why... At first, we didn't hear no names. If you remember correctly, we just heard there was a phone call with like right. 65 players on it. Yep. We didn't hear no names. Then as the story got bigger and bigger, Kyrie came out, Avery Bradley came out, Dwight Howard came out, and these names. And then that's when it really took off when we started putting names to who felt that way. So I think they just had to sit down and try to organize it a little bit so they could get taken a little more seriously than just coming out with, you know, some random nonsense or whatever the case might be. Yeah, and I'll, real quick, Auden, too, the NBA has always been the forefront of progressive thinking and change and whatnot. So I would also let the, give them a little bit of time to maybe work on this. Yeah, maybe they can talk to Adam Silver. He can sit down with some of these players and come up with some more mm-hmm. programs and initiatives and things like that. NBA's got a lot of money. And, again, you talk about Kyrie's, like, basketball league uh, experiment he was talking about. You don't have the resources the NBA has. You're not even a, a fifth or a sixth or a seventh. I mean, you know, you can leverage the NBA in the situation and say, hey, we don't want to, like, not play at all but we need to make sure that our message isn't being lost in the sauce here when we go to Orlando I think the NBA would be much more receptive to that than say the NFL would be you know I mean I don't know how they're starting to kind of turn heel a little bit but um so I I think that the players you know might want to use this constructively versus destructively if that makes sense all right guys we turn to the MLB with the latest uh, admit their own restart Last week, we broke down the latest regarding the offers and counter offers between the MLB and the MLB Players Association. This week, negotiations have picked back up, including a face-to-face meeting between MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred and MLB PA Executive Director Tony Clark. The latest negotiations are proposing a 60-70 to 70 game season, starting with spring training next week, an expanded playoff format, and a season ending at the end of September or early October. Now, while the sides are close, a deal still seems far away with two sides disagreeing about revenue splits, salary advance forgiveness, and money for social causes, among other issues. So, Drake, does it seem like the MLB and MLBPA are close in this week, or do you see a deal and do you see a deal getting done soon? Well, I sure as hell hope so. Hey, they call baseball the America pastime, and it's damn sure gonna be the pastime and they don't get it together. Be the, Listen, absolutely the past. The, the past. The, with the, with the gravy on it. Listen, here's the deal. I, I don't I don't know the ins and outs of baseball, and I'm not gonna sit here and act like I do. Uh, that's what I got Jay for. He'll he'll fix me up. But uh, I I just gotta think this commissioner, as smart as he is, this player association rep, as smart as he is, you gonna tell me that you really gonna sit here and keep fumbling around and messing around and don't have a season? I mean. I, I don't I, – I look at both sides. I get what the player's saying. We want more games so we can get paid. The owner's saying, listen, we didn't lost so much money, it's, it, we would not be in the green no matter what we do. So if we play, it's to the advantage of the players. I got all that. Somebody got to eat their pride and make this happen. The, the commissioner, dog, he turned down his knees begging to get this done. I mean, man, my man down here, like, come on. He'd have been on ESPN, please. He'd have been on – yo, he's like, what do I got to do? 
Do I got to go to the local, get on the corner and start advertising myself? Like, what I got to do? Help me out here. So with all that said, like I said, I'm, I'm more, of, I take the mindset of, of the common guy. But here's the deal. We're going to get hot and spicy. I'm going to pass it over to Jay and let him tell y'all the ins and outs of this whole debacle. Yeah, it seems, it seems like that we're heading in the right direction. We don't have a deal yet, but the last few days we've seen we've seen the league come up with a with a proposal, and the players' association have a counter proposal. The league wanted about the league wanted sixty games, I believe, and the players' association wanted seventy games. And when you just take into account those two numbers, I mean, it seems pretty it seems pretty simple if you just boil it down a number of games. Cut that in half. We have a sixty-five game season. Let's get it moving. Obviously, it's probably not that simple. There's other factors in play. I think salary advancement, we were discussing this earlier. That's one of the uh, big ha- – that's one of the hang-ups that seems to be in play right now. I'm not – I don't think any of us are 100% sure of what that's all about. But this th- – today, it seems like we're in a more p- positive position than we were last week because – you and you write about uh, Rob Manfred. He's, he's got to be just pulling whatever hair he has left out of his head because this has just been a nasty, ugly – and as usual, just optically, this has just been a horrendous look for America's pastime, which don't play a season and you will absolutely be uh, in the past and we'll just be, we'll, we'll have sports like, I don't know, uh, Cornhole be passing you by with as much television time as oh, that's oh, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, uh, sprinkle in some darts too. But, but uh, and one of the things that, the commissioner, he's kind of been a little wayward uh, recently saying on oh, uh, one day saying, okay, are we a hundred percent going to play ball? And then, then it seemed like the next day he comes out and says, uh, you know what? Well, now I'm not so sure if we going to play, I, you know, can't get it together. And then what, what looked like turned the tide was uh, Tony Clark, the uh, players association uh, president or the senior position of the pl- a senior guy in the players association came out and said, look, we're, listen, we're ready. Like, basically, there was a little social media post. He said, we're ready. Just tell us when and where. And the players kind of went out, and they ran with that when and where theme. You had Max Scherzer, I believe it was Monday night. He came out with on social media, posted a little when and where thing. And then uh, the, ne- the next day, uh, you had the likes of Mike Trout and Bryce Harper getting in on that action. So, you know, that's the, so, the, the, the old juice on Twitter really getting this thing revved up. And the players – Throughout this entire process, the more and more uh, I think about it, uh, the players look pretty good in this instance. It looks like they've been saying the right things, doing the right things, and they've had their disagreements for sure. But it seems like the league and the owners, and to to some extent Rob Manfred, they just haven't done a very good job managing this situation uh, to the point where you we're looking back like three months ago almost. They had a deal in place. And yet we're well into June now, and we're talking about negotiations that we've seen and offers to where we're talking about around 100 games. Well, now you continue to, uh, you know, dance around the issue and circle the target, and now we're sitting here talking between 60 and 70 games. So the more the more they can't get on the same page, the less games they're going to play, the less money people uh, players are going to make, and it's just all around bad look. But I will say, one of the couple of things interesting from the Players Association. I think when we talk about the revenue lost, I'm, I'm absolutely in the, in the 
in the big picture, I, I think expanded playoffs, I don't like them. Uh, I, don't, I didn't like the NFL expanded playoffs, what they got going on. But in a situation like this, when you talk about the playoffs is where baseball makes its money. And in that case, I believe in this situation right now for this season, expanded playoffs are probably a way to go because I think that's where you can get more eyes on these games. And obviously there's going to be some teams in there that shouldn't be in the playoffs. But I think this is one of those situations where that extra money, you're going to take a little bit of, I would say, you know, average to dare I say below average baseball just to rake in a little bit more of that tele television revenue. So I think that is a positive in this case, although in the big picture, I'm not for it. And then the universal uh, designated hitter, we, the National League has is, is not uh, gotten on that page yet. Pitchers still batting the National League. But I think uh, trying that out, maybe you try it out for this year and next year, see how it goes. And, of course, as we know, I think in all sports, more offense leads to more viewers. So I think that's a good move. I got, I got a question for you, Jay. Now, you, you said the American League don't use the DH, right? National League. American League's okay. had it for quite a, quite a long time now. All right. So is that something – would that be something that's difficult for the NL to do? Or, like, what, what are we talking about here? It's not, it's not difficult at all. And historically, I, it's kind of one of those things I've never really looked into to see why those two leagues are not on the same page. Uh, mm. But it's, it's, been a, it's definitely been uh, in the conversation uh, of baseball lately to, to progress towards the designated hitter across the league. And I think the general consensus is that the National League is going to get there eventually. They just haven't yet. But this could be one of those moments to where <laughs> – you're going to go ahead and we're going to have designated hitters across the board. Yeah. So there's, there's some really encouraging signs here, like over from what we had from last week to this week. Um, one of the things we talked about is the last two offers we have between the MLB and the MLBPA are both fall within a 60 to 70 game window. So last week we had talked about offers of 48 games, the owners and a hundred games and the players and all the different salary stuff. And it's, it's encouraging to know that we've kind of fallen into a much more uh, definable goalpost for about 60 to 70 games. Additionally, we can also look at this and say the last few proposals have included the players full prorated salaries. So that doesn't seem to be a sticking point anymore. The MLB offered a few situations where, yeah, we'll play more games and you're not getting paid your full salary amount. Uh, which in the last few, like basically since the start of June, no proposal has not had a full prorated salary. So I think you have some points where a negotiation isn't going to be required too much more. Um, and I think your final deal is going to kind of fall into some of those goalposts, but it doesn't feel like this is almost done, you know, cause it's easy. Like you said, Jay, just go, Hey, 65 games split down the middle. Let's go. But you know, as Lee Corso says, eh, not so fast, my friend, you know, the, the first <laughs> issue is that every game you add onto the season right now is worth $25 million in player compensation. Every game you add is more money out of the owner's pockets because they're losing money. Every game that's played this season, the, the three point, whatever billion dollar loss gets cut up into games and every game is played in the season. They lose that much money. So the owners, obviously they want the shortest possible season. They want to get the sand. They want to get out and they want to get to the postseason where they have the most money to be made, especially with the expanded playoffs. Like you were talking about the MLB playoffs are going to be eight teams this year and next year, which is expanded from what it normally is. And that's where the MLB does make most of its money, especially in TV revenue. 
Um, the players, obviously, they want the opposite. They want more games or more salary. And even in that 10-game window, you're, you're talking about $250 million in a vacuum of just one aspect of part of the negotiation. That's not counting any of the other stuff. You know, we can talk about, you know, the other baggage of the waiving grievances related to the March pay advances. Now, I, like you said, I'm not really exactly sure what that means, but uh, it has to do with the players essentially waiving their grievances for the pay that was advanced to them in March covering April and May. And it could be hundreds of millions of dollars on its own, depending who wins that. Cause I think that was at least $170 million that was advanced already. And I don't know if they have to repay that or how that works, but it could be a sticking point. There's also the revenue splits regarding TV deals and, and things like that. But I, I think we break this down. This is what it comes down to, right? At the end of the day, the league is probably not going to move off about 60 games. It's too much money lost, and I think they're firmly committed to ending this by October. They don't want to stretch into one a period where more shutdowns can occur because we already see these virus cases are starting to creep back up. They don't want to overlap in the NBA Finals, which could occur no later than October 13th. And you also have the, the idea that NFL and possibly college football will be starting and being played by then. And they aren't going to want to put double headers in, which is one way you make up games within the calendar window you have put out. And they've argued that double headers, one, they don't want to do a bunch of them. And two, it's not safe for the players being all around each other that long of a time every day. So I think at this point, the MLBPA is going to have to accept 60 games. Uh, from there, then you can work on the auxiliary issues. You can work on the revenue sharing, the playoff money pools, your grievances. And I think that's where your wiggle room is still available and you can ensure your players are taken care of. But if you keep trying to insist on more games and dragging this out it's not going to work and plus every day that goes by um the owners are getting what they want because you're running out of time you're physically running out of days on the calendar to get this pulled off i mean they're already talking about one of the proposals will be starting next week i mean starting spring training so there just physically isn't that much time to do this and every day you drag this on the owners are going to win because you're going to run out of time to cram games into a season so if you, if you sit on 60 games, you get your full salary, you get you bargain for a few deal sweeteners, you can get the show on the road. But like I said, I think at this point, every day that goes by, the MLB is winning, and the players need to probably realize, like, okay, at some point we've got to just cut this off, get a deal, and get underway. All right, move on over to the NFL with some surprising news. Jet safety Jamal Adams broke a stale news cycle in the NFL by saying he apparently wants out of New York and mid-contract extension talks. The All-Pro safety was a sixth overall pick in the 2017 NFL draft as amassed 12 sacks, six forced fumbles, and 272 tackles over his first three seasons, good for first, second, and fifth among defensive back, respectively. The news is interesting because the Jets have made no mention of not wanting to pay him. At the NFL Combine, Jets GM Joe Douglas even said he wants him to be a Jet for life. Adams has two years left on his contract, including a $9 million 50-year option. Adams listed seven teams he'd like to be traded to if the Jets fail to make him not only the highest-paid safety in the league, but also the highest-paid Jet on the team. So, Jay, should the Jets ship Adams in a blockbuster deal, or should he settle down? You know what? Um, from the Jets' perspective, let's, let's, let's not beat around the bush here. The, the Jets should absolutely not do this, and it's absolutely uh, – it's unacceptable – that the Jets have uh, let this happen. You see this with these subpar franchises that just on far too many occasions, they get into these, these pre-contract spat trade things to where we, we just saw it last year with Jacksonville and Jalen Ramsey. This is almost in some sense a, a replication almost of that scenario to where in this side, it's more of the general manager being involved. But this, this goes back to last season when 
uh, Adams was linked in trade talks and he felt like he felt disrespected because apparently the general manager told him he was untouchable and that, that, that he took offense to that. But the Jets, when you look at them, particularly over the past decade, the Jets have been a below average operation uh, ever since the likes of Rex Ryan uh, was toting Mark Sanchez and company on, on the backs of that defense to AFC championship games. Uh, they've been fairly below average uh, since then, and that, that's probably putting it mildly. Um, so when you look at this and when you look at Jamal Adams, a guy you drafted uh, in the top 10 back in 2017, I mean, the guy, when you look at first-round picks, this guy, as much as any other guy, he's absolutely popped. He's everything you would want in a, in a safety and everything you want in a football player, and he's been nothing short of uh, productive. He's been available. He's 46 out of 48 games. That's what he's played. Missed two games with an ankle, uh, ankle sprain last season. Those type of things happen, though. And the guy, look, 12, you, you, uh, Cody read the numbers. You know, the pr- production off the charts from the safety position. And two consecutive Pro Bowls out of in, in, in a three-year career. And he just made an all-pro team. So the, we talk about this, and sometimes we talk about other teams. We talk about Jacksonville, for instance. These are the type of building block players you should have a vested interest in keeping. Otherwise, how do you, I don't know how you get how do you get good and progress? Because the New York Jets, I mean, they're not going to be a juggernaut anytime soon. We don't see that, but we will admit and we will admonish the AFC East is is somewhat open this season. There's no longer the, I mean, Bill Belichick is still hanging out there, but Tom Brady has uh he's moved on to Tampa Bay. So that stranglehold that the Patriots have had on this on this division for the past two decades, um, that appears to be over unless we get some unforeseen performance from Jared Stidham, but we'll see how that progresses. But the Jets have a chance here. They have a chance to be competitive. I think they got a great they got a, they got some sort of a chance to compete for a wild card spot. I think Sam I like Sam Darn. I think he can play. We'll see. Uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe we get some semblance of Le'Veon Bell. Maybe Adam Gase figures out to use uh, use Le'Veon Bell. But Greg Williams is an exceptional defensive coach. I think he's made more with less many times uh, in his career as an NFL uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, see the return of C.J. Mosley. That's a big deal for them. Uh, we know Quinnen Williams is going to be a, a star in this league. So, I, and I've said this on several occasions. They have they have super they have superstar talent at three levels at every level of this defense up the middle. Quinnen Williams, C.J. Mosley, and Jamal Adams. I don't know why you would risk botching that uh, just because a player wants to be traded. Number one, uh, he, he's got. Adams has two years left. They picked up his fifth-year option, so he's under team control for the next two years. This is not something they should do right now. He's cheap, and to me, the Jets have to take great care. They have to do everything they can to repair this relationship. This can't be a thing where you just ship ship him out of here. Oh, well, he's not happy. Uh, It's too hard to try to mend this relationship, so we go ahead and get him out of here and take what you should get. So I tell you, if you walk out of – we talked about the Jalen Ramsey deal earlier – you get anything less than two first-round picks for this guy? Because remember, he's cheap for the next two years. You're getting an all-pro safety for two years on the cheap relative to what he's going to command on the open market. So you're going to have to give up some serious uh, some serious draft capital uh, to make this happen if I'm the Jets. Unless, And you never know. You go ahead and mess around with Houston. Uh, Bill O'Brien, he'll give up a whole draft class for this guy. That's what we've seen with him do with trades uh, recently. But to the point – 
about the list, because I know we've been talking about the list. I would say the team that should be most invested here, and there's a couple of things I'm looking at when you rule out these teams. Number one is who do you got at safety right now? Is there a real need? And is this going to be a tremendous upgrade? Number two, what's your salary cap situation? Unless you're, in, unless you're just saying, hey, we'll, t- we'll take Adams for two years and then we'll cut bait with him. I guess you could do that if you're a team that isn't looking too hot in the salary cap regard. And the third one is have you paid your quarterback yet? Because we know there's half of these teams have not paid their quarterback yet. Lamar Jackson, he's going to command a huge contract. Uh, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, we know these guys are getting paid. No, there can be no question about it. And uh, Dak Prescott, from what, I, from what I've heard, uh, he has not signed a contract yet. I, that, that may be breaking news to some. Uh, I don't think it should be. But listen, at some point or other, um, from, from everything they say, hey, we're going to get it done. They've been talking about it for, it seems like, a calendar year now, so we'll see. But they have not paid that quarterback. For those reasons, for those – none of those teams, the Texans are in okay shape in regards to the salary cap. None of those other teams are in particularly great shape for the salary cap. So I ruled all them out. And then – but I would go straight to where uh, – to the team that should make this move, and it was a team that Ryan Clark reported that uh, – Jamal Adams is also open to playing for, and that would be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And here's why. The Buccaneers are all in right now. The Buccaneers, there is no futuristic uh, uh, avenue for this team. Tom Brady's down there for two years, and that's it. That's probably going to be the end of uh, the, the, the GOAT's career. You brought in Rob Gronkowski, another piece to win right now. You brought him on out of retirement. You traded up one draft pick just to make absolute sure you could solidify that left tackle position. We've been talking about there's been two areas of critical need for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It would be the offensive line. They got a left tackle. We'll see, we'll see what happens with him. And then that's secondary. My God, that's secondary. You, I, I've been, I'll say this again. When I look at your secondary and the name that I recognize the most is Carlton Davis, we have an absolute problem that we need to get rectified. And absolutely, this is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for all the win-now moves they have made up to this particular juncture. This is something that should absolutely, they should be on the phone right now with Joe Douglas trying to make this happen. And I don't, I don't particularly care what it takes to, if, they, if, they, if they have interest in Jamal Adams. There should be no amount of draft capital they won't give up to win right now because you got a great chance. And Jamal Adams is the type of player, because we talk about the front seven. We talk about guys like Shaq Barrett and Levante David. There are some real pieces to like on that front seven. I believe they were top top five defense against the run last season. And when you look at that secondary, if they can get something back there, and Jamal Adams is the type of player who can who can change the game. If they can get him, I believe that puts them on par with the New Orleans Saints in the NFC South, and you could make a great argument, and you could, probably, you could probably make me believe that they're the favorite. All right. <clears throat> so I would like to give everybody a visual of this, this hot steaming pile of what we got going on with the Jets. Okay. So the Jets organization, New York Jets, this trash being right that's here, the, right? You're up the Jags, man. That's the wrong one. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It's, hey, hey, well, it's, I, I tried to I tried to send it back to Amazon to get the right one, and they wouldn't take it back. 
Hey, to the to the yeah, to the viewers actually watching via YouTube, you notice it's red, so they hot trash too. Oh yeah, oh yeah, best believe it. So we got the Jets here. Jets organization, trash, trash bag. Boom. <laughs> Sam Donald, trash. Went to no, he's not trash. He went to a trash organization. I'm sorry. Let me let me be clear. Let me be clear. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sam Donald, you you in the trash can. Jamal Adams, you in the trash can. Quentin Williams, you in the trash can. CJ Mosley, I hope you got something left in the tank because you in the trash can now. Le'Veon Bell, you'd rather go bowling, so I guess it don't matter. Now you in the trash can. All right? I say all that to say this. I don't know what the hell the Jets are thinking, but evidently, Building a, a winning franchise ain't their goal at all right now. It, I don't know what they trying to do. I don't know if they want to devalue the franchise. I don't know what they want to do. But winning is not the goal. And here's why I say that. When I'm looking at when the Jets drafted Jamal Adams, right? Drafted him in the first round. You passed up many of quarterbacks. You passed up a bunch of players you could have probably brought in to that you needed for Jamal Adams. And you think to yourself, all right, if they draft a safety, this dude better be the best thing smoking. He better be an all pro. He better be top five in a bunch of categories. Well, if you don't say, let's get to the categories, shall we? Sex, since 2017. Oh, what do you know? Number one is sex for safeties. Ain't that about a, okay. Force fumbles. Oh, is that this? Oh, I'm sorry. Twelve sacks. The lead, y'all, be number one in that stat. Force fumbles. Six of those. That's number two. Oh, okay. How many snaps has he played? Once again, you know my thing. The best ability is availability, and you evidently this young man, he's available. How many snaps did he play? Two thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine snaps. That's good for what third since that time frame? Oh, okay. So he's on the field too. How about them tackles? Because you know how DBs and safeties, they don't want to make it in tackles. Well, what do you know? He fifth in, in the league in tackling during that time with 272. Oh, did he make – he made the last two Pro Bowls and he was all pro in 2019. So I had to ask myself, Jets organization, what the hell do you want the dude to do to sign him? You want him to start throwing touchdowns too? Like, what, what else do he got to do? Because clearly – you drafted him to be an all-pro at his position. Clearly, he's an all-pro at his position. You drafted him to be a game-changer on the back end. Clearly, he's a game-changer on the back end. So I wondered to myself, I, I feel Jamal Adams at this point. What, what the hell is the problem? Like, what do you want me to do? I'm not out here stinking up the joint. Like, oh, I know what it is. I, it's the salary count, right? Oh, we gotta pay these other dudes. We gotta pay the quarterback. We gotta pay. Oh, just CJ Mosley and Le'Veon Bell. That's it. So, is there a money problem, or you guys just don't like me? I'm gonna go with the fact that you just don't like me. I don't know. So now I'm gonna request a trade. Now, Jay laid out this trade to these teams. Evidently. Every team he named outside of America's team, 
these are playoff contenders. These teams are playoff contenders. And then you got, you know, Jared Jones boys down there. So I'm looking and I say, well, let's go with the Ravens where they got an all pro. Let me, let me ask you, I'm going to ask you this, Jay. What's more important, an all pro safety or all pro quarterback? Quarterback. Quarterback, right? No, it's not a trick question. It was a yeah. serious question. <laughs> um, so they got an all pro quarterback that they gotta pray, they gotta pay. So maybe not. Maybe maybe not there. Let's go to the Cowboys. All right, all right. Well, Dak is not an all pro, but he is a pro bowler. And hey, he, he seems like he might or might not have the Cowboys over the barrel. So they know, wouldn't even yeah. they, we know they that. wouldn't. Yeah, and oh, just to butt in real quick, we know the Cowboys have paid, you know, they've, they've maxed out a lot of guys at a lot of different positions. Exactly. We've seen they let Byron Jones walk out the door because they couldn't pay him. So all of a sudden, they're going to get a change of heart. Oh, knee slap and bring Jamal Adams in? Probably not. Uh, the Texans. Now, Jaden hit it on the head. Bill O'Brien, the GM, is known to pull some tomfoolery at the 12th hour. But... I think that that ownership that's in the basement, wherever they at, you know, over there playing a legal poker game. I don't know what's going on. Um, somebody told me that ownership, they might have seen them in that same uh, parlor that uh, the, the Patriots owner was at. I don't know. When they come out of that dark hole, wherever they at, I, I'm, I'm assuming they're like, nah, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. We're going to pass. And by the way, they got their own Pro Bowl quarterback that they got to pay in Deshaun Watson. So we're gonna we're gonna pass on that. Chiefs, are we serious? Are we are we absolutely serious? First of, of all, the Chiefs have a all pro safety. First of all, Tyron Matthew, that right now is better, if not, you know, more experienced than Jamal Adams. So I don't think you messing with that. And plus, <laughs> you <laughs> you got the best gunslinger in the business that you got to sign, and it ain't going to be cheap, buddy. So let's go ahead and pass on passing Chiefs right quick. The Eagles, um, now in that situation, when the offseason started, they needed a lot of secondary help. Since then, they have addressed that secondary up, down, left, right. I'll let your boy put in that combo for the cheap. And Carson Wentz is already paid. So this team seemed to I already have their act together. But if you had to do a scale from one to seven of, you know, one to eight, the Eagles probably be, you know, you know, top two, you know. But at the end of the day, I can understand if the Eagles pass because they have been putting in work in their secondary. Then you got the 49ers. Now, could the 49ers use them? Yes. But we Jaden already addressed this. They have two two safeties back there that can get the job done. There's no need to go out there and break the bank for um, Jamal Adams. And listen, you just was playing in the Super Bowl. It wasn't like you had a mass exodus of talent after you, you you lost the Super Bowl. So, you know, and you still probably here in two years going to have a quarterback situation that you got to figure out as well. So we ain't going to put too much on, on, on John Lynch um, plate here. Then you got the Seahawks. Sidebar here. We like to get on Bill O'Brien for some of the moves. The way the Seahawks have been messing around, I wouldn't be surprised they pull some bull crap too. I'm just be honest with you. They don't want to pay anybody to protect Russell Wilson, so they might just spend the money on defense so they don't have to pay anybody to protect Russell Wilson. I just want to throw that out there. But here's the deal. 
They got some guys on their back end that can get the job done just as well. So I think Pete Carroll, he gets, he, you know, he looks, he say, nah, too rich for our blood, we out. And then we come with the most reasonable team of them all, Jay alluded to, the Buccaneers. Well, if on the Buccaneers, I think I got to make this happen. I got to go that quarterback. I got, uh, I got Big Grunt coming out of retirement. We the best thing smoking in Florida outside of the coronavirus. And listen, it's time, it's time to do what we got to do, baby. It's showtime. It's showtime in Tampa Bay again. And we said it. What was the two positions you had to fix? The offensive line and secondary. You have addressed the offensive line. We've seen that. You addressed the offensive line. Now the GOAT need the, goat need the ball back. All right? I can't be out here in 55-point shootouts. I need the ball back. How do you do that? You show up that back end. And I think they should do it. If they don't, you know, whatever. But, you know, if, if you got the GOAT, Bruce Aarons out here, he trying to make sure he on the golf course. By at least 8 o'clock, he got to get the swings in. You know what I'm saying? Trying to light up the cigars. And he can't do that if the defense can't stop a nosebleed. All right? So you need you need that guy on the back end. And I, so with all that said, I think, you know, he should end up with Tampa Bay. We'll see. But I, I find it interesting, right? He want to be the highest paid safety. And I'm looking at Eddie Jackson contract here at $14.6 million. And I like Eddie Jackson. Eddie Jackson, that's my boy, Alabama alumni, road tire, you know, all that good stuff. But I don't know if Eddie Jackson, I think he might have had one season that was probably as in, impressive as what Jamal Adams has done so far. I'm I'm I don't know. I mean, I I don't understand why the Jets are not playing, why they're not paying Jamal Adams. I I the more I look at this, I'm like. What do you want from the guy? He's available. He's playing top-notch football. I don't know. But when I look at all these situations, man, is it, to me it seems like it's Tampa Bay or we're going to have a very, very long, disgruntled conversation with the Jets. That's my outlook on it. Yeah, yeah, you know me. I look at the numbers and all that stuff a little bit. And, and the two things that really work for work against Adams in this case really is that uh, his position is not the highest value to the team and the contract structures in the NFL. I mean, the first thing is he's a safety. All right, it's it's one. I mean, if you had to rank every position in order of importance, safety right. wouldn't be that high. It definitely wouldn't be in like the top five. And just like last week, we talked about Dalvin Cook and the value of the running back position being a little devalued. And Adams is another one that he falls in that sort of trap. Of of these are positions that you can live by without pro bowl talent. If you have to running back safety, things like that, you can put, you know, your average Madden gold core gold back there and, it's not going to be the end of the world, right? Now, obviously, Adams does stuff that your average safety isn't going to do. Most safeties aren't going to come up and make and rush the pass like he can. He's extremely versatile. He leads all defensive backs in sacks in the last year. He's an absolute asset. We already talked about him. But when a team's going to give up such extreme amounts of money and, and or assets in the case of trading for you to get you, the, the value – uh, the total value of what do you bring total is, is, is questionable. And, you know, the Jets have won 15 games of them in three years for whatever it's worth. I mean, is it all at Adams' fault? No. But obviously he's not someone that can just hard carry a franchise and turn them around on his own. I mean, again, that's not Adams' fault hundred percent, but when you're talking about numbers and trades and whatnot, you got to think, you know, what does this guy really, how much can, better can he make us, you know? And the rookie rookie contracts hammer players like him in the NFL because, guys, the Jets don't have to pay him if they don't want to. 
he's under contract. I mean, it, it is what it is. We saw the same side show with Jacksonville and Jalen Ramsey. He wanted to be paid. He didn't want to wait on the timeline. He forced his way out. But he was a year behind Adams. You know, he, he had drafted in 2016. You know, and you have four years in your deal. First round picks get a fifth year option, which is what he's going to go into next year. He's on the fourth year this year. So he's the fourth year, fifth year option next year. And then you have a franchise tag possibly looming. And, you know, when you pay a position that plays only get paid about $14 million a year max, a franchise tag would be pretty lucrative for a team to sign you to because he's probably going to wind up making about 12 or 13, you know, salary cap increases and all that. But, you know, it's not right. I mean, I think in the next CBA, they need to – rookies need to have some kind of protections of, hey, if you make all pro teams and pro bowls in your first year and your first two, three years, some kind of incentive should kick in to increase your contract because you're locked down for five or six years if they want you to be. I mean – that, yeah, okay, the, the Panthers paid Christian McCaffrey, but that was that was really nice of them, but they didn't have to do that. I mean, they wanted to do that and lock him up while it was smart. The only argument for a team to do it early is maybe you get him for a fair price now versus in a year or two where he continues his progress, and then he's worth an outrageous amount of money. So, But it does favor the teams much more than it favors the players in these negotiations. It, and it sucks because Adams essentially getting paid market value for one of his first five years – and he's playing well above that every year he's played. So, you know, it's not right, but the Jets are in a position, too, where with the coronavirus and the uncertainties, man, just not huge contracts right now is really dicey. And not, some teams are going to play it safe. They're going to play it close. And uh, it's unfortunate for him. But if they don't have to pay him, if he still has to show up and play football anyway – you know what I mean? Like there, there's some something to be said about maybe not just going overboard and just throwing the money at him just because he wants it right now. I mean, he's only in year th- year coming into year four of his really essentially a six year deal. So I, I get some reasons why the Jets wouldn't do it. Now, like y'all made the case, he's far better than most any safety in the league. I mean, he's he's probably the best safety in the league if we line them up, or at least among strong safeties, he's definitely the best. So you know, should the Jets maybe do that? Yeah, but I don't, I wouldn't do it if I was the Jets. I definitely wouldn't trade him. I would do everything I could to work on a deal with him because like you said, you got to have these building blocks and you can't just get dudes, get three years out of them and then trade them. You're never going to get ahead. But if, if they did trade him, I would say nothing less than at least a fourth, I'm sorry, a first round pick and then a second day pick, you know, second, third, maybe fourth, you're throwing in a player. But uh, I actually saw Baltimore as a little more, of a, of a suitor than maybe you guys did. I, I, I think because Lamar Jackson was drafted in 2018, so he's only on his third year of his contract. So they've, again, they've got that time to pay him. And Baltimore is a very young team to be as win now as they are. Their draft's been fantastic. I mean, their salary cap, it's, it's kind of hairy this year, but the next year they project to have $65 million by over the cap. And a lot of that's because if they don't re-sign Matthew Judon to a long-term deal. They'll have the money to do it. And, man, can you imagine Jamal Adams in that Baltimore defense? I, oof, oof, I, don't, I wouldn't want to. So, yeah, the Jets shouldn't do it, man. But if they, if he did, hey, why not Baltimore? Yo, now, Cody, I got a question for you because you said something about franchise tag. So, are you saying after they pay him the 3.5 in 2020, then the 9.9 in 2021, mm-hmm. then they could then franchise, they can franchise tag him? Yeah, I mean, why, why not? What? Yeah. When his contract be up? No, because after the fifth-year option, he would then have a six-year of a potential franchise tag. I think that's what Dak Prescott's looking at right now. Well, that yeah, that yeah, that fifth-year option, they pick up that option, and then that's the end. Of, that would be the end of his contract. Yeah, that's that the con- end of the contract. Yeah, right? when that contract okay. runs out, that's when that player is eligible for the franchise tag. 
Yeah. So you would be going into the sixth year. They could choose to use their one franchise tag on him if they wanted to. And they would have to pay him as a top five safety, but you know, it would only be about $13 million probably. So am I hearing it? So you saying after he does his five years, because he's mandatory, he could do five years because he's a first round pick. Mm -hmm. Then the Jets can make him do a six a six year. Oh, yeah. yeah, with the franchise tag, it's and it's the same thing with Dak Prescott right now. Even though he wasn't a he didn't have the fifth year option, but he's still the four year contract with that. See, fourth that round. You see, only get one franchise like, see, tag. So would they use yeah. it on Adams? We don't know. But I'm just saying the Jets have up to six years of, of potentially not yeah, like force they, playing, but they can keep their yeah, services they, for up to six years. Yeah, they yeah, what he's saying is they could potentially like they could use it on somebody else. But he would be a prime candidate. They could they could use it on on that team. So that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, I, but yeah. but back back to the back to the point of the Jets as an organization. This is one of those situations where these teams, the relationship between players and executives, these executives and these coaches as well. When you have a budding superstar like a Jamal Adams. You gotta take you gotta take great care in making sure you're on the up and up with this guy and he's happy because the problem was the reason the contract became a thing in my estimation was the the dangling of Adams last year in trade talks, which is just ridiculous. Why you would make why you would make such a move, especially after according to Jamal Adams, he t- he was told by management and they shouldn't say this because at the end of the day it is a business, and agents need to do a better job of letting players know i know they're young but they got to understand this early because they can hit you quick it's a business you're not untouchable and i'll tell you why we just saw tom brady tom brady the goat best most accomplished quarterback of all time and where he at now new england had to make a business decision and he up on out of there so if they could do it to tom brady I, you jamal adams you're a fine player all pro but if they can do it to tom brady they can do it to you I mean, it's 20 years late, but, yeah. It, it, it happened. You never would have imagined that Tom Brady would play somewhere else, but they had to do it. All right, guys, let's wrap up tonight with a look at the ranking of the best quarterback-coach duos in the NFL. Colin Coward had a segment on his show this week ranking the top 10 quarterback-head-coach duos in the league, so we figured, well, why not do our own? The duo has to be equally considered, so a great coach like Belichick might be left off the list with a um, <clears throat> subpar quarterback or vice versa. So let's run them down, Jay. Let's hear your top 10. Uh, can you just – can you be somewhat polite? Could you have said unproven? Why you got to crush the guy like that? We don't I, know. I have but listen, to the contrary. <laughs> Tell but me listen. something, Jared. Yeah. Anyways, um, for this list, I thought the top nine that I had, I thought they all absolutely deserved to be in there. I really did. Um, the 10th one, I got to tell you, I struggle with because there's a lot of dude, there's a lot of quarterbacks that just, I mean, you would think we could slide them on in here and maybe they got a coach that's kind of weighing them down. You'll see what I'm talking about as this segment progresses. And on the other side, you know, you got a really good coach, but you're not sold on the quarterback. So the 10th spot was tough. Um, but listen, I'm, I'm giving, I'm, I'm taking the flyer on this one. We'll go Philip Rivers and Frank Reich. It's a newly formed relationship. It's going to be one of them, uh, one year, one year wonders, perhaps. I think that, I think they should have an opportunity to win the AFC South. And I got them at number 10 at number nine, we coming in with Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan out there in the Bay area in San Francisco. 
I mean, you got you got to have him in here somewhere. They did just go to a Super Bowl. Now, you can also say I'm not going to have them all that high because I believe this Super Bowl, the running game was a great deal to do with this. The defense, uh, especially that pass rush, they had a whole lot to do with what they were doing. But Garoppolo, you know, he did his job for most of the season. I think Kyle Shanahan, he's one of the great young offensive minds in this game, and he's got to be in here at some point. Number eight, this is one of those situations where um, it's really one side because you'd like to have a good coach and a good quarterback in here. Uh, and that's not to say Matt LaFleur ain't a, is not a good coach. But I'm, just not, I'm not all that impressed. But you know, you know what it is with Aaron Rodgers. Um, Aaron Rodgers, um, contrary to uh, some of the be- executive belief system up there in Green Bay, uh, he's not done. I think he's going to come out with a vengeance this year. I thought he's. I think he's going to have one of his best seasons, and we'll see. Maybe Matt Lafleur. Maybe he can show me a little something extra. But you, it's hard. when when you got it. When it's Matt Lafleur, you're not going to be no higher than eighth. Another one of them newly formed relationships. We got the goat down there in Tampa Bay, Tom Brady, and we got Bruce Arians. Uh, Bruce Arians. When you look at uh, the vast majority of his career, he said he's had success at multiple stops. He's worked with Big Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. He's had time with Andrew Luck in Indianapolis. He's worked with Carson Palmer, took Carson Palmer to a Super Bowl. And when you, excuse me, he did not take Carson Palmer to a Super Bowl. That was, uh, I believe that was Ken Wisenhunt. That was uh, before, before Bruce Arians got there. But he, he did take, he did get him to an uh, NFC championship game. And so he's, he's a proven guy. And the only reason I don't have him hired is because it is a new relationship. And I'd, I'd hate to put him I'd hate to put these guys too high above some proven relationships that we've seen work year in and year out. And that's where we go to number six. And there's a question, there's a little bit of uh, injury concerns here, but the coach, the coach is propping him up right now. I'm talking about big Ben. I'm talking about Mike Tomlin. Listen, if Mike Tomlin can get eight wins with Devlin Hodges and Mason Rudolph, um, if we can get, I don't know if we can get a, I don't know, 60% big Ben, um, I think the Steelers can be right back in the thick of things. That defense, um, that defense has been much maligned. Talking about that secondary, uh, they they have an excellent defense though right now. You talk about T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, uh, Devin Bush. The list goes on and on. They got some real ballers back there. So I think the Steelers are going to be okay if Big Ben can give us something. And number five, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. And you might say, well, that seems a little low. I'm going to tell you this, and we've alluded to it. I think we alluded to it in the last topic. Russell Wilson, I think he's the second best quarterback right now in football. Only one I've got above him is Patrick Mahomes. It's just something about Pete Carroll. Just I'm not, I'm just not enamored with Pete Carroll lately. Um, I'm just not seeing enough impact coming from the defense ever since, since the Legion of Boom has went by the wayside and fell apart. And and we listen, we talked we've talked about this on multiple occasions, and many others have as well. Ever since uh, that second and one. Uh, interception in the Super Bowl. This it just hasn't been the same there. And as great as Russell Wilson has been, I don't think Pete Carroll's been quite as good. So that's why they're at number five. I'm gonna go to a team that's won a Super Bowl a little bit more recently, not with the quarterback that's starting for them and just got paid, but we got We cannot forget 2017. Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate. If he had not gotten hurt, he would have rolled to that award. And Doug Peterson, you got to give him credit. Um, he's made, he look. He got Nick Foles. He was had Nick Foles in there winning the Super Bowl in 2018. Nick Foles and Doug Peterson they won another playoff game together. And then this year you had Wentz in there. 
but it's seemingly the rest, the whole receiving core, they either couldn't catch or they were on the sideline injured. And we know the secondary wasn't all that good of shape. They had a lot of problems, but they made it happen. And that, that's, a, that's a great combination. I really, I really like those guys together. And then you get to the super elite guys. Listen, the reigning MVP on the cover of Madden 21. You know what it is. It's Lamar Jackson. He got to make some improvements. We can't, we, we can't be going out with no playoff wins uh, continuously. We got to get that rectified. But the reason I got them this high, and you may think this may be a bit high, but listen, John Harbaugh, when you talk about coaches, and this is one of the things I'll talk about from time to time in terms of coaching. Coaches are sometimes, they're so rigid in the fact that, okay, it's all about my system. We talked about this with Jay Gruden last year and Dwayne Haskins. It's all about the system. No, it's not. You make a system to fit the player's strengths. That's exactly what John Harbaugh led the Ravens to do last year. And they made it happen. They, they were built on the running game. They mixed in some passing. Lamar Jackson, they used his absolute best ability, and they made it happen. Number two, the relationship that has been – now it's been the longest and truest now that Belichick and Brady no longer together. That would be Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Uh, listen, I'm going to ride with these guys and Drew, Drew Brees walk away. They've been that prolific – They've been that outstanding. And I, I see no reason to where that doesn't continue. Uh, Drew Brees, he's had, he's had some suspect performances in the playoffs, but he's also had some unbelievably tough breaks in the playoffs the last several years. And we'll see, but I still think that they're the best team in that division right now. We'll see how the Bucks progress. But then at number one, and there should be no, no suspense as of what we was leading up to, um, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, uh, I'm not even going to say much about that. It, it gets no better than those two right now. All right. Here we go. You know what I'm saying? Hot 10 right here. Coming in at 10 is, you know, the newest duo on this list. Um, that duo down in Arizona, you know, the Cardinals, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, young Mr. Um, 25-year-old looking uh, himself. And then uh, Kyler Murray, you, you know what it is, four foot five and all that. Look, here's the deal. Both of these guys, first-year rookies, um, rookie head coach, rookie quarterback, and, and dare I say they played in the toughest division in, in all of football in the NFC West, and they looked pretty good for their first year doing it. Now they had to build upon that, and we seen what uh, Bill O'Brien did. So they, he, he got a target uh, to add on to um, Larry Fitzgerald. Number nine. <laughs> I'm coming in with Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. Now, Jay just mentioned, on this list, you're going to have, like, lopsided production. Like, maybe the quarterback is carrying the coach. The coach is carrying the quarterback. And here's the first one on my list. Here's the deal. Pete Carroll is a defensive head coach. But I will say this. In that Super Bowl where they made that outrageous play on the, first, on the one-yard line, at that time, if you actually think about it, Pete Carroll pretty much, even though he's a defensive guy, he pretty much said, I'm going to pass over my instincts and go with the talent, and I'm going to go with my quarterback. Since that time, th these guys have been locked at the hip. Now, has he helped them out with get him premier talent on that offensive line? Absolutely not. But, hey, here's the deal. He sold the form for Russell Wilson when he made that play, and now here we are. Number eight. Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson. Now, listen here, folks. I'm talking about Bill O'Brien, the coach, not Bill O'Brien, the GM. Please cut him some slack as a coach. I know as a GM, get him out of here, folks. But as a coach, 
he he he's uh he does his thing. And and Deshaun Watson has benefited from him doing his thing. Deshaun Watson has been a mainstay in the playoffs for the AOC. No matter who, you know, just I think DeAndre Hopkins, you know, he has a big part to do with that as well. But Bill O'Brien can coach. Deshaun Watson can all play quarterback. I think that combo does matter. And then we got Sean McVay. You know, the guy, just a couple of years ago, we thought he, he had a, a double brain. He was the smartest guy in the room. He was a boy genius, all this and some. They, they just played uh, in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Him and Jared Goff. Now, for me, I think Jared Goff is a straight, you know, flapjack. But it is what it is. You, the proof is in the pudding. They paid him. And he, he's not, like, a god-awful. I'm just not a big fan of him. But when you talk about quarterback-coach combos, I do think that's a top-10 duo in today's NFL. Number six, I go with John Harbaugh and, and Lamar Jackson. Here's the deal. I like to talk about the best ability. The best ability is availability. Another ability I want to talk about is flexibility. And that's what John Harbaugh is all about. Here's the deal. This guy could, just like Jay said, he could have been out here talking about, hey, this is my system. I've been doing this for years and it's been working. Now nah, he's seen Lamar Jackson and was like, listen, oh, we're going to have to change. Oh, hey, yo, we're going to have to change some stuff up. You see that guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and let's tr trade up back in the first round and go get this guy. Oh, yeah, you know what time it is. Hey, put a, hey, Put up the uh, the Bentley. It's time to get the Ferrari out. You know what time it is. Let's roll. So I got to give him credit. Even though a lot of people want to say John Harbaugh is not an offense coordinator, he's not a defense coordinator, he was a special teams coordinator. I don't care where he was. Clearly he's smart. Clearly he know what he's doing in the NFL. He'd have had a lot of success. And now he's going to have even more with the best thing smoking right now outside of Mahomes, but we're going to get to that a little later. Now, and, and number five, I got Bruce Aarons, the coolest cat in the building with the GOAT, all right? It's the GOAT. Like, what, what are we talking about here? We, we got Mr. Kango and the GOAT. You know they number five. I don't care if they haven't played one game together or not. That's just a cool combination. So you got to put some respect on it. Um, Number four, I'm coming in with uh, Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo. Here's the deal. I, I, I do agree with uh, Jay. It's, it's, a, it's hard to give Garoppolo a lot of credit when that run game was the driving force. But here's the deal. Kyle Shanahan, when it comes to offense, you you seen the extension. you seen the money they paid him. I'm, me personally, I'm a big fan of Kyle Shanahan. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you know, I seen what he did with the Redskins. Then he rolled it over to the Falcons. And now he just played in the Super Bowl with the 49ers. The proof is in the pudding. That guy know what he's doing. And clearly, Jimmy Garoppolo – for all the shortcomings that he didn't had, I think Kyle Shanahan has did a really good job of masking those shortcomings and, and you know, playing winning football. I know the defense got something to do with it, but, you know, this ain't about them. Then number three, we got Sean Payton, you know, and we got Drew Brees, you know. Hey, listen, if, if you can make a coach-quarterback duo a statue – this, you know what I'm saying? This might be the statue right here. I mean, yes, you would have Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, but then you probably have theirs right next. You know what I'm saying? This would be the statue if you can make a statue. These guys been playing a lot of ball. They the heart and soul of New Orleans as a city. Like, when you go there, these guys get a lot of respect, and we've seen what happened with Drew Brees when, you know, he made some, um, you know, the, some wrong comments, and you've seen the backlash. It's a reason why he got that backlash. This guy is well-respected around his arena. That's all it is to it. When you're well-respected like Drew Brees, 
you're going to get that type of backlash that he got. Don't mean he a bad guy, but, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. Number two, I got, oh, Dougie Fresh, Dougie Peterson, you know, coming through with Carson Wentz, Mr. Bad Swag and everything else with it, you know. Yo, give me, give me some of that glue. Give me some of that uh, bubble gum that's going to have to put it together. But whatever you can say about Carson Wentz, you can say whatever you want to say. Oh, he's fragile. He can't stay healthy. That's cool. But if he make it to the game and he plays, go ahead and strap in. It's going to be a long day, boys. And let's not forget, that year that they won the Super Bowl, he, wasn't, he did not play. But they don't make that Super Bowl without him. They don't make that Super Bowl without his – almost MVP performance that year. So Nick Foles, all he did was, hey, copy and paste, control F. That's what he did. And he just slid on in there and got it done. So, oh, yeah, it was copy and paste. You know he slid in there behind the MVP at the time and got it done. What was it, control Uh, F? What's the control F? Hey, hey, what's some plays Carson Wentz used to um, play, run? Hey, control F, and then you can find it. Oh, okay. Right, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I got you. Got right. you. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Hey, come on, Jay. Come on. Keep up with me, baby. Now, <laughs> and then at number one, you know who we got at number one. You know what it is. Um, Top shelf. John and Walker Blue label for my guys that drink. You know what it is. Um, The best of the best. The creme de la creme. Uh, about as good as the hotel that the Lakers going to stay in uh, during their playoffs. You know what it is. Um, it's Patrick Mahomes, it's Andy Reid, and, and you know, I want to say Andy Reid has always been a top-notch offensive mind in this game. You know, he came up short a, a few times, but he finally got that guy that can put it all together and, and put it where he needed, and you know, listen, they're the number one combo, and they deserve it, and, and they just get started, if you ask me, so, you know what I'm saying, that's my 10. All right. Well, my ten are about the not the same, but you know, most of the same, most of the same uh, potential guys in a different order. Uh, number ten, I've got Aaron Rodgers, Matt Lafleur. Um, you know, Rodgers wasn't overly impressive in nineteen. If you look at him versus his career stats, uh, and Lafleur, you know, the jury stopped. But for whatever it's worth, they were thirteen and three, and they made a nice playoff run. So um, definitely need to get him on this list at least somewhere. Uh, number nine, I got Deshaun Watson, Bill O'Brien. I mean, like you said, uh, Deshaun Watson's kind of dragging O'Brien on this list a little bit, but we'll give him some credit. Uh, they have finished at least nine wins in all but one year he's been there, GM duties aside. Uh, and Deshaun Watson, that we all know, he's he is uh, as advertised, more or less. Uh, number eight, I got Mike Tomlin and Big Ben. Um, you know, Mike Tomlin just spent an entire season reminding everyone how good of a coach he is. And Big Ben's coming back. He's healthy or should be healthy. And I, I think he's definitely still a top 10 duo. Even if Big Ben's clocks, you know, really kind of beginning to tick, uh, they, they should still have some success. Uh, I got Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan down here at number seven. You know, I like what I saw last year for sure. But I didn't quite see enough out of Jimmy G to push him up on the list past seven. And, again, a lot of that was – some of that at least was game planning. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but they definitely deserve a spot. I had him just a little lower. I got Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. Maybe they should be even higher, but it's hard because, like you said, like if you look at the numbers, you look at the success they've had, the Super Bowl victories, and how good Russell Wilson's been, and how many seasons they've had of success and winning, you go, well, how are they not like number two or three? But just something doesn't feel the same, right? You know, that we all kind of feel it just doesn't, something doesn't feel the same about this duo as it did. Maybe they'll recapture it, maybe they won't, but for now, I got them at six. Uh, number five, I got the GOAT and Bruce Arians. Uh, I, I don't think either of these guys need much introduction. Fifth, because I am skeptical of how much Brady's got left in the tank. And like you guys said, uh, the uh, relationship's a little newer, but got to be at least fifth, right? 
Number four, I've got Wentz and Pedersen here, only because of Wentz's health. You know, again, we, we talked about it, you know, great duo, but can we get it for a whole season? Can we can we see it all come together finally for him? But uh, y'all are right, you know, without Wentz that season, uh, Foles probably doesn't take him to the Super Bowl and win it. So uh, definitely, even when he's, you know, before he was hurt, he was having an MVP caliber season. Uh, I put uh, Peyton Breeze at number three. They've proven for a long time ago they are model of consistency outside of New England. Um, these guys, like you said, drink. If there was a statue for both of them, that'd be the one. So number two, that puts me at uh, Lamar Jackson and Harbaugh. I mean, I think what what puts them so high on it for me, it won the potential they could have. But I mean, Lamar Jackson just rewrote the record books in, in the NFL. I mean, MVP, uh, he's a household name now. But John Harbaugh, he's Harbaugh's been doing this a long time. You know, only one losing season since 2008. And uh, also, he took a guy that every NFL team passed on, you know, and made him a household name. So the playoff success is the only thing as of recent that I would hold him back. But man, I expect this duo to be, um, to, to run the NFL for a while, if not for number one, which is obviously, uh, Mahomes and Reed, which will be their primary competitors. Uh, no argument here. Kings, of the NFL just won the Super Bowl. Easy for me. All right. Time to finish off with rapid reaction. A lot of topics and a little bit of time. Let's go drink. Let's roll, baby. Free agent, wide receiver, Josh Gordon applies for real statement in the NFL on Wednesday. Any thoughts on that, Jay? Yep, short and sweet. Uh, we're going to hope for the best and prepare for the worst. And I'm going to leave it at that. 49ers wide receiver Debo Samuel underwent surgery for a Jones fracture in his left foot Thursday after suffering the injury earlier in the week at a workout with teammates. Is that cause for concern? Oh, yes, it is. They need Samuel. Samuel was a big part of their offense. What he did, did allow that run game to do what it did when it when it came out to stretching that defense to the left and right. Um, and then he was an arm and switch now. He wasn't just a wide receiver. You could put him in the backfield. You could do this. You could do that. Um, yes, that is a big deal. And I want to say this. I think this is only the, the beginning of injuries for these players that it might not worked out as much because of the quarantine and not being around people. So this is something to watch. This is a, a big concern, I think. The Philadelphia Phillies and the Toronto Blue Jays have shut down their spring training facilities in Clearwater, Florida, after five Phillies tested positive for coronavirus and a Blue Jay exhibit symptoms on Thursday. Does this worry you? Uh, it, it, uh, it is cause for concern, but I will say I think it's more <clears> important for Major League Baseball to get an, act, an actual agreement in place. So then we can actually – this will be a front, a front page worry uh, for us. Let's get the agreement in place. Then we can worry about uh, – the coronavirus. Mm. Recently, Alabama football and Ohio State football have agreed to play each other in 2027 and 2028. Your thoughts, Drink? Uh, all right. So this for all these haters out here and these critics that say, oh, you know, the reason Alabama was so successful because they don't play nobody this, that, and the third. Well, go ahead and look at that old – that schedule – all the way out to like 2030. They got people all over that schedule. So, hey, you're going to have to find another excuse of why they're so dominant now. I don't know what to tell you. Um, Eagles guard Brandon Brooks has already been lost for the upcoming season with a torn Achilles. Big deal, little deal, or no deal? Normally I'm in the middle or at no deal on these. This is, this is a huge deal, not only because this is a huge man, by 335 pounds, but this is a guy who's started, uh, he's made three consecutive Pro Bowls. He started all 48 games the past three years. He's been, and he was the, according to Pro Football Focus, he was the best guard, uh, the best uh, graded guard in the entire NFL. And that, uh, ahead of guys like Zach Martin, Quentin Nelson, and Marshall Yonda. So it's a huge loss. And when you consider uh, the Eagles last year and their injuries, 
uh, that they had. You would think that they'd get a bit luckier this year. It didn't start in that way. This uh, Carson Wentz cannot uh, be enjoying that news. Last one tomorrow, even on ESPN Plus in Las Vegas at the UFC Apex Center. It's a UFC heavyweight main event between the number three ranked heavyweight contender Curtis Blades and the seventh ranked contender Alexander Volkov. Who you got, Drink? Um, first of all, uh, Dana White, I need to put out an APB on Volkov's resume. I don't know how the hell he's even ranked in the top ten. Um, I haven't seen one significant win yet. Um, but with that said, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get this to Blaze just on the sure fact that Blaze actually fight people and actually uh, earn his ranking. And listen, here's the deal. If it wasn't for Francis Aganu being in the same division, Blaze probably would be getting a title shot. But he got smoked within 30 seconds when he fought Francis Aganu twice. So uh, good luck, champ. All right, that concludes today's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. I'm Jay Wise. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby.